listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch Zemar. Welcome back to the Zemar podcast. This one I'm going to talk about planning going in 2021. Uh, sure, as I record this, we're still in December, but there's some things I want to point out, especially for employers on planning. Uh, over the years, there's definitely been employers that always wait to the last minute or they think that's the timeline because we were taught to purchase employee benefit programs within a certain, a certain time frame. And I'm going to kind of blow that up a little bit from a planning perspective to kind of give you an idea what the overall big picture should look like. And then obviously there's reality on uh, boots on the ground type of thing uh, could change everything. It could be timing in your own marketplace. It could be other things going on at, at the company. But this gives a little bit different perspective and going into the 2021. And of course, it varies based on the size of the company. I'm going to segment just um, basically a thousand employees and under. There's definitely a lot of companies from a thousand employees and under. And each segment underneath that is going to be graded a little bit different as far as when the planning should start, what should be done. And this could be a whole series of topics, but I'm just going to give a high level overview. So even though we just wrapped up all the open enrollments, if there's an employee base that is anywhere from 100 to 1,000 employees, the employee benefit program planning should actually start in January. So let's get through the holidays and get through the January 1st and getting back to the new routine after the holiday routines. And you should start working through a checklist. You should work, create some workflows, maybe some projects uh, along the way, maybe you still had some snags from the previous year, uh, whether it's directly related to an employee benefit program or an HR perspective. But you should start working through some of that and see uh, if there's anything that needs to be addressed. If you were one of the lucky companies and everything seemed to go fine and there's nothing really to address, then we need to create some projects because everything can be improved. And where do we improve? Um, one is definitely going to be is compliance, 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 compliance. There's definitely uh, a compliance issue in every single company across America between either IRS regulations, Department of Labor regulations, it could be EEOC, HR compliance. There's a number of things that can be done. And so you should do an audit and actually try to improve in, in certain areas. And maybe your company has grown and over the last 12 months you had a spike. Or maybe the COVID era brought your employee base down. These are areas that we need to address going into the first quarter of the next year. Communication. I can't overemphasize communication with the employees. No matter how large or small the company is, the communication is definitely key. A lot of times, even in the planning process, and you're trying to make some changes, and it's not ready to roll out or communicate with the employees, you need to tell them that you're working on the project so they're at least aware, and then give them reason why you were doing this, at least from a high-level overview, because they don't need to know everything, but they need to know that you're on a track somewhere, and you have an end goal, and you're working on the details, and those processes could go. But January is definitely... A time frame between if you're an employer that houses 100 to 1,000 employees. All the planning and, and meetings and with the, whether it's the brokers, the vendors, uh, any administrative or technology pieces, all that needs to be wrapped up um, before June. And then you start honing in on 
what the plan is, any of the changes where occur, you may already made decisions on if you're switching vendors or you're enhancing certain things. And then the reality is your open enrollment should already be on autopilot by September for January 1st. Of course, if you have an earlier renewal date throughout the year, you need to start this planning definitely at least six months in advance as a key. It could be six to nine months is a good solid window because urgency happens and fires come up and markets change. If you plan up early enough, you won't be scrambling and basically giving your employees the scraps of what you could put together an employee benefit program. You are trying to compete for good talented employees. And so in order to do that, this is a huge piece of it because it becomes very important, especially during now, the the employees need confidence and your potential employees need confidence. And this is definitely one thing that you could, it's not easy, but it's simple. And so it's definitely something you could attack and make it better than it was the year before. So 100 to 1,000 should start in January. A lot of the decision-making should be done by June. And then open enrollment should be autopilot by September uh, for January 1st renewal. If you were downstream a little bit more, I would say 50 to 100 is a different segment. Uh, You should start picking up the baton to start reviewing whether it's compliance, communications, HR, uh, HR support, or HR documentation, or meeting with vendors. You should start somewhere between February and March. March is a good starting point. And then you have a good three months to go through a lot of these um, relationship buildings, opportunities to see what else is out there. Uh, it gives you time to give challenge uh, your current vendors, such as your broker, and and try to get a better communication channel between them and see what opportunities instead of waiting until the last minute to try to make some of these changes. And a lot of your decision making should be done by July, August timeframe. And then uh, between September and October, your open enrollment should be on autopilot and um, scheduled and uh, without any urgency or last minute decisions. Everything is on task to finish within a certain time frame. If you're in an employee base between one, obviously you, and 50 employees, you definitely need to get the ball rolling on, on a lot of this uh, decision-making process and meetings and, and try to see where you're at and where you're headed and where your goals are. You should start between May and June if you have a start date in January of the following year. So May, June timeframe, you should start these meetings, having these conversations, get some workflows going, some project management, try to work through it. It gives you plenty of time to figure things out. That way, in case you have internal fires or other things going on, you still have plenty of time to get these projects done. And then all the decision making should should really be already starting to be made by the end of October, early November, and then auto uh, open enrollment should already be pre-scheduled and automated to some degree, somewhere between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, uh, and then it gives plenty of time to, even if you're switching carriers or switching products or adding a product, and get, allows you time to get all the paperwork in line and there's no urgency. It's actually better for everybody downstream. The employer's not stressed, HR's not stressed, the employees are not stressed. Uh, and the brokers aren't scrambling. It cleans up their office, allows you them to service you better by having those time blocks in, in place. So that way, everything's smoother, and, and it gives you a lot more time to decide on moving upstream to better products, or maybe you could save money. But some of those products take time to get back and feedback. Uh, it could be underwriting. It could be resourcing or trying to finalize some details, and it could take months to figure some of that out. And, and here we're, we're talking about six to nine months. Some of these large companies out there 
are actually planning two years out. So they're obviously done with, they've been done with 2021. They've, I think they're wrapping up 2022 right now. I would say in the first quarter, they're already looking at 2023. And so they're two years out and here, we're only talking about um, six to nine months to make sure everything's in order. You tackle projects, you give the proper time for it. Even if it's a short project, at least it's wrapped up, it's already ready to go, even if it's months prior. Most of the people out there, most of the employers, especially in Chicago, they wait to 30 days out, 60 days out. Part of that reason is because the broker community has taught you how to purchase the insurance and they're scrambling internally because they're still working on open enrollments from last month. And, and, and a lot of us are still in that game as well. Uh, I still have open enrollments that we're trying to wrap up for December 1st, and that's just part of the game. But we need to do our part, not only as brokers, but employers and HR managers, CFOs, to try to move into a different direction so that we could have a better handle on it. How, how do you take a project internally that you're spending multi-millions of dollars and try to figure out a way to shave 10%, 15%, 20% off of that? It's a big animal to um, start shaving costs. It's not like you're trying to figure out how to save $10,000 for the year. I mean, this could be several hundred thousand dollars we're trying to reallocate the better resources for the company. It could be marketing and generating new business. It could be back in the employee base. It could be expansion and other ways. It could be better used than other sources if you give the proper time, planning, and, and project management to get it all taken care of. Are you a CFO, HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year? Out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals, and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. I'm here with David Matuzic. He's a uh, financial planner. He's a, a great guy and advocate. He's a resource for many of my clients. I thought I would bring him on and we'll talk about some of the basic planning for going into 2021. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it and uh, happy to be here. Can you give us a little background on where you're at these days? Sure. Yep. So I'm a certified financial planner. I've been in, in the industry for going on like 12 years now. Um, primarily worked, uh, first started in real estate investments, then I went to the banking world, uh, was in wealth management for the banks for about seven, eight years. And then after that, I uh, ended up going the independent route to where I'm at now. It's a small boutique firm on the south suburbs of Chicago here called Strategic Investment Solutions. For uh, short, you know, we just call it SIS. Uh, and it's um, an independent firm, uh, myself and uh, four other financial advisors. That's awesome. And, and a lot of times people get busy in life and they kind of forego some of the planning. And I tell you, getting through this, I call it the COVID era, you know, this pandemic that would occur, it, it probably bring, uh, brings a lot of questions to the planning process. Um, what have you seen just over the last six months with some of your clients or, 
or even potential clients that anything new in those conversations because of all this? Uh, you know, well, everyone's situation is different. And um, what I mean by that is, you know, there's been people that have done very well during the COVID era, era here. And then there's other people that haven't done so well and, you know, they lost their job or um, had to take a pay cut or, you know, whatever the situation is. So it, it really depends on the person. And that's kind of where, what I, what I get into um, when I get to work with people is getting into their specific circumstances um, because no two people or two families, you know, have the same challenges or goals or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, overall, it just, it just, um, it kind of depends where they're at in life. I mean, you know, how old they are, uh, where they're at in their career, if they've been a good saver, if they have, a lot of debt or if they um, have been very, you know, conscious of what they've been borrowing and uh, everyone's different bottom line. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. And let's, let's hard, hard to answer. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Now, have you found through the career that you've had and your clientele that you work with that, that there's different stages of the game and that changes some of the recourse from being single uh, or married or all the way up to empty nesters, the kids are gone and they're by themselves. Is the planning stages different? And then is it just basically realigning for the overall goal? And uh, how does that work when you go through just a simplified way of explaining those stages? Yeah, so there's definitely different stages. Um, Some advisors break it into three, some break it into five. Uh, you know, usually the first stage is when you're early in your career, you're, you know, you're just entering the workforce. Um, you know, usually you come out of college, you have some debt you need to start paying off, and uh, usually have little to no assets, so you're kind of just hitting the ground. Uh, stage two is when you're starting to, your career starting to advance, you know, you're starting to make a little bit more money. Uh, usually at that point, you're also have a family, you're starting to think about starting a family. Um, as you progress, then it's you know, that's usually in your 30s and 40s. Then into your 50s is the pre-retirement years. That's when people start getting a lot more. Um, I guess a lot more. They start thinking about retirement a lot more. And if they haven't been saving, that's when they really start aggressively saving and paying off their debts. Uh, you know, next stage. It, I'm going through the five stage. You know, history would be condensed a little bit, but the next stage would be stage four. That's early retirement. Um, you know, right? It's basically right at around you know six, mid sixties when you're entering retirement. Um, at that point, you'd be you would want to have been working with an advisor. You'd want to have a retirement plan in place. Hopefully, you are on path to hit all your financial goals. You know, we we made sure we map out basically planning for the rest of your life in terms of how, in terms of your cash flow needs, meaning how much cash you, you need going in or coming out every single year, um, you know, up until a certain point. Uh, and then the last stage would be your later retirement years. You know, that's typically when you're in your 80s and you're, you know, you're winding down and uh, thinking about any legacy planning or, um, you know, any other issues that might come up down the road. Sure. And then, of course, you got pandemics in between all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, and then it's yeah, it's been a crazy year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, some of the people have already been through some of that back in what was it, oh uh, seven, oh eight, when a lot of the 
yeah. uh, markets have changed. So some of them are experienced uh, investors now, I guess, or financial, you know, retirement planning. So it gives us something to think about that we can't just coast 30 years and everything's going to be fine. We have to plan accordingly for all things. Yeah, I always say you got to plan for, you know, if life is too short or you live too long or something happens in the middle. And unfortunately, and you've probably seen this too, where a lot of times they use retirement funds to finance things that happen too soon. Disability insurance is obviously a key point in that in case you get too sick too soon. I've seen a number of cases where long-term care is financed with a retirement fund. A lot of people, yeah, they just totally discount their, uh, it's simply, you know, they, they get that typical insurance salesman trying to sell them policies. Yep. They kind of run away from it as much as possible instead of really sitting down thinking about, okay, later in life, you know, who is really going to take care of me or how much money am I going to really need for, you know, cost of living or, or assisted living facilities or whatever it is. So, I mean, yeah, those disabilities, especially and long-term care policies play a huge role that you, you have to find someone to work with that you really trust, but you know, they're, they're definitely important parts of your financial plan. Some of the feedback I get when I review some of those policies is disability insurance and long-term care policies are very expensive. And uh, my response mm-hmm. is, uh, so is financing one uh, yourself. And so, yeah. yeah, and just like everything else that we buy insurance, there's no way in the world that anybody could save that amount of money or even invest in a lot of cases and get a return on that investment and get the dollar amount that an insurance product is going to provide. And so for the amount of premium it costs for a long-term care policy, they'll never re- get a rate of return to get a nest egg of three hundred dollars to $500,000 to help pay for uh, a long-term care event. I mean, if you live long enough, maybe, but chances are most people don't plan early enough in the game to put that money aside and reinvest it to get that kind of money back. And so it's far cheaper just to purchase an insurance policy so they could finance it later. Yeah, you don't, I, I'll challenge you that on that. But oh, you will. <laughs> there, let's bring it on. You know, usually what I, I coach people on is uh, I don't like to miss investments and insurance. So like usually I tell people investments are investments, insurance are insurance. You don't miss the two. What I mean by that is, you know, the investment bucket will serve a purpose. The insurance bucket will serve a purpose. So I don't like to, to go so much into the returns of an insurance policy because, you know, that's not the purpose of the policy. That's right? correct. The bottom, the bottom line is that the purpose of the policy is to support them later in life, you know, when they have a life-changing event or whatever it is. And I don't like, uh, I should say, I, don't, I, I caution people when, they, when they're buying an insurance, purchasing an insurance policy specifically based on investment performance, just because, you know, again, it's, it's two different buckets that shouldn't be missed at all. I know I agree with you. I was just referencing the cost uh, difference. Like some people will forgo life insurance thinking that they'll have enough cash in the bank to cover everything. But there's no way oh, yeah. that, yeah, yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no way, no one's going to save enough money in the premiums to offset some of that risk. And so it's just a comparison, but, but I don't mind the challenge um, for sure. I mean, because that's why there's guys like you doing it. Yeah. And, you know, there's no bank out there that's even paying you anything on your, on your savings in your bank anyway. Hey, that 0.01% is going to go super far. <laughs> yeah, right. People don't realize they're actually losing money when they, there's a risk to being in cash, right? And people don't understand that they actually lose money by sitting, you know, on all their cash every year. And I'm a Southsider, right? So I come from a family of Southsiders and my parents are the worst at it because all my, my, you know, my moms are typical uh, Southside <laughs> 
um, all cash and CDs and that's it, right? You know, can't stomach ups and downs in the market. And I tell them all the time, like, you know, we got to get the controls here because the cash is, is not growing otherwise. Yeah, for sure. But just because you say you're Southside, does that mean you're a Cub fan, though? I am a Cubs fan. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, so much for being a Southside. But uh, at least on my side, because 99% of what I do is either an employee benefit program or health insurance or even Medicare planning, for that matter. And so one of the biggest expenses in retirement is health care and controlling that cost. And it goes up fast, faster than the inflation, and then it eats up the dollar. And so what are some of the conversations that you have with your clients to start preparing for some of um, those health insurance expenses that they're, they're not seeing yet because maybe they've been employed by a large company and they've been taking care of all these years? What, what are some of the topics that you bring up related to some of the health care pl- uh, planning from a financial aspect going into retirement? Yeah, it's funny. So when I'm having these conversations, uh, you know, often I get the I get the people I get people that are thinking about retiring at age sixty or sixty two, what you know, whatever it is. And um they totally have no idea how expensive the healthcare expenses. <laughs> um it's almost it's almost sticker shock every time when you know, when it I tell them like, Oh, you know, you're retiring you wanna retire before you hit your know, actual retirement age, you're gonna have to pay for healthcare out of pocket. And um a lot of times they just have no idea what how how, how much that really costs. Uh, but you know, I I try to open their eyes a lot, and um, you know, again, it's just part of the planning phase. Is like if we're gonna if you're gonna retire early, you gotta have that money basically bucketed for whatever healthcare expenses. You know, up to a certain age, you know, and hopefully the Medicare kicks in, and and uh, but even at that point, they're gonna need supplemental. Um, but you know, bottom line is I'm not the healthcare expert. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I usually try to do is get them over to someone like you and let you handle it. Yeah, and I appreciate it. But it's the conversation has to be had, right? And so this past week, I was talking to somebody that worked for a company. I think almost 30 years. He said, "I'm done," and he was actually done earlier this year. He wanted to retire by the time his uh, birth month and just because that was just a milestone for him. So he decided, you know what, I'm just going to retire. But they kept buying time for him. And he stayed until the end of, end of the year. And he said, okay, I'm done, De- December 31st. And then the reality was coming in because of a certain medication that he was taking. He couldn't retire because of the cost of the med. And here he sure. is three weeks yep. be- three weeks before retirement scheduled, and he's got to figure out what's going to happen with this drug. And it's and, and it should be part of the process. You're, you're right. I mean, that's not your field, but um, during the planning process, it should be handed off to a team member like what you and I have done over the years and right. and, and, and analyze that cost, where they're going to be, how much it's going to cost. And that way, uh, you as the advisor could readjust maybe some of the uh, planning side or how you're going to do the vesting or just retirement portfolio so you could help manage some of those retirements or the ones that want to retire early and have to go through all the things that are uh, with your Obamacare program. And those are expensive. And how do we... You know, manage the cash flow for that. You know, I was hoping to retire at 30, but uh, it didn't work out too well. I didn't have a good, I didn't have a good financial planner at that time. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the financial planner was the issue. Oh, thanks. What are you trying to say? <laughs> My expectations were too high. What are your thoughts on going into 2021 on what people should start thinking about for retirement planning or just planning in general, especially after going through this whole uh, COVID era? Yeah, I think, um, this year, especially, 
you saw a lot of people that were, well, hopefully they didn't pull out of the market when the market down took a downturn earlier in the year. But you know, if they did, uh, they got a lot of ground to make back up. And but uh, other than that, I mean, hopefully, um, I should say, shouldn't say, I should say, the experience here is just a lot of people have kind of burned through a lot of their savings. Uh, you know, they they didn't have a choice, although or they started racking up debt to get by. So I think going into 2021, as the economy starts to reopen, hopefully things start to normalize. Uh, you know, I encourage people to start building up their their savings again. Uh, just rule of thumb, you want to have at least six months of savings in your of of a savings covering six months of expenses in your bank account. Um, and I always like push that right because. Before people, before you should even be thinking about investing, you should have six months of expenses in your bank account, just dead money sitting there in case something bad happens. You know, you have six months to find a new job. Um, you know, and the other thing I'd really start uh, helping people tackle is just or crack down and crack down on is tackling their debts because, um, like I said, people there's been people that have you know either taken tapped into the lines of credits or uh, you know, ran up their credit cards during this time and time to, you know, get that all back under control now. Yeah, very good talking points for sure. And people should start planning a little bit further in the future because most people can't even go 30 days without a paycheck, let alone go six months. Um, mm-hmm. But you start, you got to start somewhere, right? And so it's baby steps. Yep. You know, David, this has definitely been great. Uh, if anybody needed it or wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? What are good contacts for you? Sure. Yep. My uh, my website, if you want to check this out, is uh, www.sisfp.com. My email, uh, feel free to reach out. It's my first name, David, D-A-V-I-D. My last name is Matuzak. M is in Mary, A-T-U-S-Z-A-K at S-I-S-F-P.com. I look forward to having you on again sometime. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. So thanks to David, and I'll look forward to talking to you next time on the ZMAR Podcast.